Uh, hey, did you know, did you know that your house, your house reveals very personal information about you? Uh, according to an article by Michelle Crouch, just by observing your house, we can determine things like whom you live with. Did you know, listen, just by looking at your dirt, we can tell how many guys and how many, how many men, how many women live in your house because men and women generate, uh, they're shed different kinds of bacteria. As a matter of fact, by examining the fungi in uh, your dust, scientists can predict within a 150 mile radius exactly where you live. Uh, did you know that you can tell just by looking at your house whether you're outgoing or not? Uh, uh, it's written on your front door. According to color experts, a red door means that you are not afraid to say what you think. A blue door says you're naturally at ease in most situations. Green broadcasts your traditional values, and black means you're probably consistent and reserved. And I know what you're doing right now. What color is our front door, right? Okay, no, I got it, I got it. We can also tell just by looking at your house, your political affiliation, what you watch on TV, and how much you weigh. We can tell how often you're intimate, what, how... Just by looking at your house. Oh, and we can tell uh, how type A you are, whether you're a millennial, how lonely you are, if you hate your job and avoid the gym, your chances of being burglarized, as well as if you're anxious, and how well your kids read. We can tell all of that. People can tell all of that without even ever talking to you, just by observing your house. And here's what I wonder, just even this early in the message, how many of you right now on your way home are going to drive down your street and look at doors as you go by your neighbor's house to try to figure, you know, them out. Today, we're going to be talking about how following Jesus leaves a mark on your home, not your house, your home, that others can tell a lot about you. Just They can tell whether you're a Jesus follower just by noticing certain traits in your home. So my name is Mike, uh, and I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. If this is your first time here, thank you for being here. And uh, we do have a gift for you, we, just to say thanks for being here. And if you're following us online, if you're watching this online uh, today, I was speaking with someone at Trunk or Treat just this past Wednesday night, and uh, she told me that when I say, uh, if you're watching online, uh, because we know that people will watch us there before they'll actually come here, she said, that was us. We moved to Miamisburg in August, but before we ever moved here, we were watching the messages online you know, to try to figure out what kind of church we are. So if that's you, like her and her family, I hope you'll join us here uh, soon. So, and if you're here and wondering what kind of church we are, just a commercial, next Sunday morning, I'll be teaching a class called First Step. It's a one-hour class, uh, and it's at 9.30. So if, if you come to the 11 o'clock service, usually, like you are today, come an hour or come a little earlier next week, and at 9.30, I'll be teaching that class. You can register for that. If you're on the Bible app right now, you can just scroll to the bottom of the message notes. You can register for First Step there. Uh, if you're going to come, please register. Would love to have you there. Now, We've been in a series where we're going through the book of Colossians, and this weekend we come to a topic that is nearest and dearest to all of our hearts. Paul begins to look at, he takes aim at what it looks like to follow Jesus in our homes, right? And so as we look at what Paul says, I just want to give you two 
overarching reminders. So these are on your notes. I want to make sure, listen to everything we talk about. You have to listen to through these filters. Number one, the Christian ethic is an ethic of reciprocal obligation. Christian relationships are never one-sided. There's a reciprocal nature about those relationships. And the second is that if you're a Jesus follower, all relationships are relationships in the Lord. That, that means something very specific. In, in other words, listen, if, if the underlying assumption is that, the, if that you've given your life to Jesus, if you're following him, if he's calling the shots in your life, Jesus tells us how to be a husband. He tells us how to be a wife, how to be a child, how to be a father, how to be a mother, how to be an aunt, an uncle, a grandma, a grandma. He tells us how to do that. And Paul is about to show us uh, uh, the marriage relationship, the parent-child relationship in the Lord. Uh, but with the uh, husband and wife, it is a partnership in which both husband and wife find a new completeness in each other. Any marriage, any marriage that is done for the convenience of only one of the partners is not a Christian marriage. If the marriage relationship is pointed really at, bit leans toward bends. If it's only at one person, you need to know that is not a Christian marriage. Husbands have just as many obligations as wives. Children have just as much obligation as parents. And that was a new idea in the first century. Potentially a new idea for some people in the 21st century. That is reciprocal. Here's uh, what will happen or already has, okay? Because this, it's, I do want to make this disclaimer. Uh, this morning about this message. This message is for everyone here. Regardless of where you are in life, if you're divorced, if you're single, whatever you are right now, this message is for you. So if you are not married, please do not allow Satan to tempt you to just sort of tune out and to think about something else because what's gonna happen is people are gonna come to you. People have come to you. Friends, coworkers, a brother, a sister has come to you and said, you know, my marriage is just not working. My, my family is about to explode. And the question is, what are you going to say to them? How about you say, you know, I was reading in Colossians, and the Bible says that this is how husbands are supposed to treat their wives. This is how wives are supposed to treat their husbands. This is how parents are supposed to treat their children. This is how children are to respond to their parents. And if you pay attention to this morning... You pay attention to what we're going to talk about, what Paul says. You may save someone's marriage. You, you may keep a house from imploding uh, in that neighborhood. So four ways your home talks about what you believe uh, in, order that, in the order that Paul gives them to us. You ready? Colossians 3.18 is first, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Now, I recognize that this type of concept can be rather repulsive uh, in our culture today. Uh, I do want to ask this question. Is our culture doing a good job of building strong homes? I, I'm pretty sure the culture we live in doesn't have any business criticizing God for how to do family. The challenge is for us is to be submissive to Jesus and his word in the culture in which we live. So here's the first thing that Paul says right out of the chute. Wives, you need to have a submissive spirit. Now, I will say this, sadly, that's the only scripture some men can quote, right? Don't ask them to quote a verse about faith or love. 
Don't ask them to share any verses from the Sermon on the Mount, but I'm telling you what, man, we know this one, right? And this may not come as a surprise, but for preachers, <laughs> this is most of the time not a real popular topic for us. Most of us, because of the looks we get uh, during a message like this, we would rather have, uh, you know, we would rather have a root canal than talk about this. But the Christian life, listen, following Jesus isn't about picking and choosing what we want to hear and what we want to do and don't want to do. If we're going to follow Jesus, we follow everything he says. It's everything or it's nothing with him. Either he calls the shots in my life about everything or he doesn't call it at all. So let's find out why this appears multiple times in the New Testament. Because there's another passage. When Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he says this beginning in verse 21, chapter 5, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Again, I know that there are many women who, who chafe at verses like that, and it's no wonder, because there are many men who are domineering and abusive to women about a woman who was married to that kind of a guy. I mean, he was awful. He complained uh, about everything. He argued about everything. And uh, there was a day that he went uh, to the creek and he took his mule. He was riding his mule and he mistreated the mule like he mistreated everybody else in his life. He kicked it. And finally, the mule was annoyed, bucked him off and kicked him to death. At the funeral, when the men would walk by, the widow would shake her head, not her head. And every time a woman would walk by, she would shake her head no. Minister became curious, and afterwards, he said, listen, I noticed when you were talking to people that you were nodding your head. It was always yes to the men and always no to the women. Can you tell me what was going on? She said, yeah, well, when the men went by, they were asking me if I was all right, and I said yes. And when the women went by, they were asking if the mule was for sale, and I said Let that, let that one sink in for a moment. <laughs> I just want to say this has nothing to do with equality. This has nothing to do with equality. When it comes to our value, when it comes to your value in God's sight, listen, when it comes to your contribution to society, when it comes to your contribution as human beings, of course, of course, of course, men and women are equal. Of course we are. But when it comes to our role in the home, our responsibility in the family, God has delegated specific jobs to men and women, and he has given the primary leadership role to the husband. And that doesn't mean he's a dictator and she's a doormat. It doesn't mean that, uh, that the husband, wise, listen, wise husbands, they don't make decisions without their wife's input. And a loving husband, a loving father will always make decisions with their family, his wife and his children, their best. He always considers them in, the, in his decisions. And here's the deal. Every huddle needs a quarterback. Every company needs a CEO. Every board has to have a chairman. Likewise, the family needs a leader, and God has given that job to husbands. They may not be the most intelligent person in the family. He may not be the most wise person. He may not even be a Christian, and we're going to see this in just a moment in Scripture. may not even be a Christian, but he's the leader. 
Dr. James McDonald, in his radio program, Walking the Word, said some wives would prefer a co-headship. And I, I like his answer. He said, two heads make a great monster. Two heads make for a great horror movie, but they are a recipe for a lousy marriage. And to be real clear, the word used here in both Colossians and Ephesians for submit does not carry the idea at all of any innate inferiority. In fact, what it does convey is modest, cooperative uh, demeanor that puts others first. It is an honoring of someone else. That's what that word means. It's actually a military word. Paul uses a military term uh, that denotes uh, arranging under rank. That's what that means. Headship is not dictatorship or lordship. It's loving leadership. That's what God calls us to. Look again at Ephesians 3, verse 21. It's actually a mutual submission with respect to the lordship of Jesus. Joshua Harris said this, and it's on your notes. Femininity is not weakness. In fact, it requires great strength of character for a woman to be gentle in an age that screams for her to do otherwise. And it always said, look at 1 Peter. Uh, in chapter three, he writes, wives in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Here's what I wanna make sure you catch. Remember, this, I said we were gonna look at this. Peter is teaching submission even if your husband isn't a Christian. There's still a principle at work. Now, does that mean that you have to do everything that he asks you to do or tells you to do, even if it goes against biblical teaching? No. Matter of fact, there's a larger principle at work in Acts chapter five. Uh, Peter and uh, John are Peter and John are told not to preach in Jesus' name by the religious leaders, and they say, "Listen, we have to obey God rather than men," and that's a principle we take into the home. So obviously, there is a higher authority than husbands. But before we leave this section, I want to point something out to the men here. Men, our wife's submission is her willful, voluntary choice. That is her way to love her husband and to honor Jesus. It's not our job to make our wives submit. That's not our task. A Christian woman has to make that choice out of her reverence for Jesus. And I realize this is a painful teaching for some of you, more painful for some than others. Can I tell you what I've learned in 35 years of ministry, 35 years of marriage? For every Christian wife who has a problem with submitting to her husband, there are 20 other Christian wives whose real problem is wanting their husbands, uh, wanting to submit to their husbands, but their husbands have failed to step up to the responsibility of leadership in their home. That's the real issue. Men, your wife would joyfully submit to your spiritual leadership in your home if you would step up to the plate and lead your wife the way Jesus calls us to, which takes us right to the next thing Paul talks about. Second way, your home talks about what you think about who Jesus is, is husbands, you give sacrificial love. That's our task. We give sacrificial love. It's verse 19, Colossians 3, 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This, by the way, men, is where spiritual leadership begins in the home. It starts with us. And Paul's not talking about an emotion. Love, biblical love is not an emotion. It's a decision. And, and, 
Listen, Paul is not saying that we should date, fall in love, get married, and stay in the relationship as long as the romantic feelings last. That is not a biblical view of love in any way, shape, or form. It begins with loving your wife in a variety of ways. Maybe it's an act of service. Maybe it's just a gentle touch. Maybe it's a word of encouragement. Maybe it's just time together. This past Friday, uh, I was asked to be part of a funeral service for Rita Abner, who's one of our ladies here. And uh, her husband passed away a couple years ago. I got to sit down with her kids to talk about what their mom and dad were like, not just the kind of family they had, the kind of relationship that their mom and dad had. And I will just tell you, I just, we just laughed so much because they grew up in a great family. They got to see a great marriage. Please don't hear me suggesting it was perfect. Uh, it was not perfect because nobody's per marriage and family is perfect. We got that? Nobody's marriage is perfect. Nobody's family is perfect. But man, did they have fun. So at the cemetery, we're, we're at the cemetery uh, for uh, the graveside service, and I had to walk around the tent. I never would have seen this if I hadn't walked around the tent. I had to walk around the tent, and as I walked around, I saw his headstone, her husband who'd passed away two years ago, his headstone, and it stopped me cold. I've never seen anything like this uh, in a cemetery before. His headstone said this, I once knew a girl named Rita. There is no one sweeter. She loved to have fun. She looked good in the sun and she's mine. I think I'll keep her. Don, can you imagine that on your headstone? Is that the best? I told, I told the family, I have been inspired uh, for my headstone. Listen, do you want to know how people can tell if Jesus is actually Lord of your life, men? They can tell if you are verse 19-ing your wife. If you're verse 19-ing her, then I'm telling you, they will know. Ephesians 5, verse 25 says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water and through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. How did Jesus love the church? Sacrificially, unselfishly loves us. And sacrifice is not a one-time experience. It is a lifestyle. It's a gradual yet dramatic giving of your life day after day. And when you show your love and sacrifice, both privately and publicly, it not only tells your neighbors what you believe about Jesus, it tells your wife what you believe about her. And she needs to hear that. It was Father's Day. Sunday school teacher had asked her five-year-olds to make a card for their dad. She instructed them to draw a picture on the front of the card of something their dad really likes, you know, like his golf clubs or maybe a, a, his boat if he's got a boat or if he likes to work in the yard, maybe you'll draw that or maybe a car. And one of the little five-year-old guys raised his hand and said, teacher, can I draw a picture of my mom? He really likes her. I love what Dave Stone said. It's on your notes. Marriage is to be a dance that is enjoyed not a debate to be won. Got it? Marriage is a dance that is enjoyed, not a debate to be won. I have never in 35 years seen a Christian woman have a hard time being submissive to her husband if he loves her the way Jesus loves the church. Men, if we love our wives the way Jesus calls us to love our wives... They will gladly submit to that leadership. 
And I will tell you this, there is a 100% success rate if both husband and wife are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Failure begins to happen when one or the other stops, falters. There begin to become problems in the marriage. We love, gentlemen, we love the way Jesus loves the church. Third way is on, uh, your home talks about what you believe uh, is next. Children, show faithful obedience. That's what Paul goes after next. Show faithful obedience. Verse 20, children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. That word obedience, uh, by the way, implies a readiness to hear and to carry out what is said. The importance of this verse, this one verse cannot be overestimated, but as often is. Because many children of all ages whether they're young, students in high school, they do not care what their parents are saying. And many parents have given up trying. And this may surprise everyone. There's only one verse in the Bible that is a command uh, for children. Only one command in the whole Bible for children. You know what it is? Of course you do. It's in front of you right now. Children obey. It's the only command that is given to children because children learn authority from their parents, especially the parent they are with the most. My guess, my guess is the parent they're with the most, especially growing up when they're younger, is mom. If a child does not respect parental authority, they will grow up to bulk at all authority. Young people today disrespect every authority figure, principals, teachers, coaches, police officers, and the church, and I'm telling you, it all starts at home. Society suffers when parents bail on teaching authority. One of the signs, one of the obvious signs that a student just gives lip service to God is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So Thousands of years ago, we're writing about this. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. They will be boastful. They'll be proud. They'll be abusive. And they'll be what? This is a sign of the last days. They'll be what? Disobedient to their parents. I want to talk to you, everyone in here who is a child, regardless of your age. Your parents are not perfect. All parents make mistakes, but I'm asking you to trust their wisdom and their judgment because they love you and they want what's best for you. And beyond all of that, beyond all of that, your obedience to your parents tells everyone who knows you what you really believe about who Jesus is in your life. Here's the last one. He comes back to parents and says, fathers model patient wisdom. Colossians 3.21, fathers, do not embitter your children. They will become discouraged. Now, a point of clarity, uh, this word that we, uh, we uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Translate, thank you. He said to no one. Uh, we translate this word fathers here in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, verse 23, uh, we translate it parents. So I just wanna be real clear, Parents are to, what he's saying is that parents are to make it as easy as possible for children to obey. Do you know why this is huge? A discouraged child is easy prey for Satan to get a foothold, and he's always looking for a foothold. You want to give him a foothold and find out how to exasperate your child? Listen, don't exasperate them means 
it, well, it doesn't mean don't discipline them. It doesn't mean that you do whatever they want. One of the most exasperating things that we can do is to give our kids everything they want and to give them no guidelines. Listen, if there were no rules on the highway, think about this. No rules on the highway, that's not freedom. That's chaos, and there's going to be a lot of crashing if we do that. There are a variety of ways that we can embitter or exasperate or frustrate our children. And sometimes, parents, it's the inconsistency of what we demand of them and yet what we're willing to deliver ourselves. Sometimes we frustrate our children by, by claiming to be under the lordship of Jesus, and yet they never hear us talk about him. They never see us uh, walking with him. They rarely see him in us. Listen, this is why one way you can teach, let your children watch you following Jesus is when they catch you reading his word. It's why we've encouraged every week of this series, and I hope I'm gonna encourage you again, this passage that we're looking at today, would you every day this week, read it four, just the verses, just these verses we're looking at, read it four times every day this week, four times every day, it's just a few verses. And as you do that, uh, here's what I, here is what is going to happen. You are going to hear what God is saying to you because he's going to say to you through these verses, you need to start doing something, you need to stop doing something, or you need to continue doing something. He's going to speak to you if you will listen to his voice in these verses. Some of us feel the pressure from work, and yet part of being a parent who does not embitter our children, listen, we have to go to work. I get that. We put lots of hours in at work. We need to tell that to our kids. Along with, I have to put the hours in at work, but I'm doing that. Listen, you always come first with me. And then you spend time with them to prove it, even when you're tired. Listen, it has to be more than just going to their soccer game. It has to be taking time every day, day in and day out. There's a consistency to that to instill this love for Jesus. Fathers, if we really wanted to, there are things that we could do with our children that would transform their lives and transform our homes, transform our homes. And the, the short list is give them a hug. Hold them. Listen to them. You may need to talk some, but can I listen more than you talk to your kids? It'll shock them. Teach them the Bible. Talk and listen to their questions. Mom and dads, here's a very important question. If children are to obey their parents, it stands to reason that parents must be teaching and leading in the home. What are you teaching and modeling for your, your children? What are the most important life lessons? Not that you should be, that you are. You're already teaching these. Do you know what you're teaching your kids? We need to know what we're teaching. Maybe today you need to make some adjustments. Maybe today there are some dads in the room who just need to be a little bit slower to become angry. Maybe there are some wives in the room who need to honor rather than to control. Maybe there are some children who need to trust and obey rather than question and complain. Maybe there are some husbands in the room who need to treat their wife like a queen instead of a maidservant. And in case you're thinking to yourself, that all sounds great, but it is too late for us. Our family will never be the perfect little family that God wants. And maybe the voice in your head is just as sarcastic as that. Can I, listen, the goal is not perfection in your family. The goal is improvement in your relationships. And while I hope you will decide here and now to make change, some changes, the real test comes not in this room, 
But when you drive out of our driveway, down the street, and you pull in your driveway and walk into your house, that's where the changes need to happen. Someone said the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The next best time is today. That's why I love our family dedication. Last night in this room, four families came to do that. In my opinion, and it's just my opinion, but one of the most powerful parts is when the family members and the friends and the parents, they circle around their children. Now, the parents have prepared for this moment, but some of them just by watching their kids, some by watching videos, but they've written this letter of characteristics and traits that they're going to be praying over their child as they grow up. And during this time, so in this circle, the parents read this letter while the family listens. And if you've never done, listen, if you've never done that, it's not too late. You don't have to be here to do that. Do it at your home, with your family, with your friends. But once the letter has been read, the parents ask the person that they pre-selected to pray over their child. It's not the parents. Someone else in the family is now praying over their child. And when their child turns 18 years old, they get that letter. Can you imagine having a letter that your parents wrote to you when you were an infant, when you were in elementary school. Can you imagine having a letter from your parents telling them what kind of person they believe that you will be and how much Jesus loves you and they want you to love him? <laughs> we want you to see the families that were involved. Check out the screen.
Well, they're not on the screen. They're right in front of you. And, uh, man, I just love that they have come. And sometimes we think this is baby dedication. Really not what it is. This is family dedication. So the families that you see in front of you have dedicated to God uh, their families. They want to raise their children in a way that honors God so that they see Jesus in their family, in their parents. And so I just, that's a huge, brave thing. And you have to decide that. That's a decision you have to make in advance because it's going to be challenged. And so I just, listen, thank you all for doing that. That's just this brave thing. So yeah. Uh, And to be clear, we love parading our children in front of you. Uh, So that's another reason. But the other reason we wanted them up here today is so that you can see these little eyes that may not be able to see you right now, as they grow up, they're going to. And I just want you to know, they don't care whether you sing in this room or not. They don't care if you take notes during the message. They don't care what they care about is when they see you at the grocery store, what kind of person are you? When they see you at the ball field, if you're their coach, if you're in the school hallway, if they see you at the gas station, when they see you outside of this place, do you look like the person they see in this place? Because if you don't, if you don't, you've destroyed the message you were hoping to send them. But if you look like Jesus, when they see you away from here, if they see that you believe what you sing and what you say, it will change their world and they need to see it. You need to understand as parents have a responsibility, we have a responsibility as well to our children, not just here, but away from here. And so I want to make sure that you knew that as well. So here's what we're going to do. Listen, I, so if you would, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to pray for these families. We're going to pray for us. And this will be the prayer that we dismiss with. Right, and uh, and we're going to ask that you give uh, before we start moving around here. Would you give the parents a chance to step down carefully, uh, because they have incredibly precious cargo with them? All right, why don't we? We're going to pray together. Let's do that. God, thank you so much for these children. Someone said that children are a sign from God that there is still hope. So God, thank you for that. We love your children. And we want to help them see you in our lives. And so we pray for moms and dads, and we pray for us, because we're who they're going to be looking toward to see if it's really true or not. And we, don't, we know we don't, we're not supposed, it's not about perfection, it's not about sinlessness, it's just about following. And so God, help us to show our children, your children here, how to follow your son. Thank you for the chance that we get to do that. We love you so much, and we want them to as well. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.